Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We are going to focus on verses 14 to 21. This is a prayer of Paul's. Maybe the greatest prayer of Paul's in all of his writings, of all his 13 letters. I think this would be the greatest of them all. So, let's look here at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, which should not be too different from yours. Uh, The words might be different, but the meaning will be essentially the same. Hear then the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he, might, he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man, through his Spirit, so that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. So you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you that we can meditate on your word this morning. And we thank you that you speak to us and that we are given the opportunity to listen. Lord, we praise you for you have been good to us in 2015. You have poured out innumerable innumerable blessings and we deserve none of them. Yet because of your favor to us in Christ Jesus, you have blessed us. And so we thank you for the common grace to all men and women and the saving grace and the special grace to all those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we're asking one more time this year that as a church family on a Sunday morning, your spirit would enable us to hear your word. We pray that he would strengthen us with power in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith this morning as we are his body and your temple. So help us now, we pray, because apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. May faith come by hearing here in this room and in the children's classes as well. And all the churches that are preaching faithfully the gospel and the scriptures this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John, I need you to turn this down just a little bit. It's a little bit of feedback still. You might have to stay back there. Some of us are excited for 2016, and we look forward to it with great anticipation. Others might be shrinking in fear as you think about 2016. All of us know we are going to experience some kind of disappointment in 2016, not just individually, but even as a church. And so, we need to pray. Why do we need to pray? We experience too little power. We are plagued with small thoughts of God's love in our lives. Isn't God's love bigger than we embrace it to be? We long to glorify God ten times, even a hundred times more than we currently do. We want more. We want more power, more knowledge, more experience of God's love, more glorifying of God, more glory to God, more good among our neighbors. 
We want more. And here's the good news. God wants more too. God wants more. So here's the main idea that we need to embrace this morning from this, from this passage. God wants us to live in, He wants to live in and fill us with Himself more in 2016 in order that He would be glorified in our church family. He accomplishes this, this filling and this presence, this glorification of His name in our church family. He does this in answer to our prayers. And so He will accomplish His desire in our lives as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for one another individually, and as we pray for ourselves as a church family. The problem is not that God ignores our prayers. That's not why we have little power. It's not that God forgets our prayers or that He's indifferent to our prayers. Our problem is that we don't delight ourselves in the Lord so that He would give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37 Four. And so our hearts go astray and our prayers follow. What are you praying for in 2016? When someone asks how they can pray for you, how can I pray for you, brother? How can I pray for you, sister? What comes to your mind as your prayer request? When you pray for others, what prayer requests usually come out of your mind, out of your out of your mouth? You're praying for someone, they come to your mind. What requests do you naturally I would even say for myself, maybe for you as well, what, what prayer requests do we naturally and maybe even lazily drift back to? God, bless them real good, right? Or something like that. We need God's word to inform and delight our hearts in Him. We must have God's word inform our prayers. Part of the problem is that our prayers are too often out of step with God's desires and with God's word. So God speaks to us this morning. Let's listen and meditate on his word together. Do you notice in this passage what Paul prays for? Did you see that in in these verses? In verse 16, what does he pray for? That God would grant you what? According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with what? Strengthened with power in where? In the inner man. So there's there's a prayer request. He prays for power. He also prays for knowledge. In verse 18 and 19, he says that you might be able to comprehend or grasp. What's another translation? Is it comprehend in, your, in the King James Version? Comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, to know the love of the Messiah that surpasses knowledge. So what does God want? What is Paul praying for? Power in the inner man and knowledge of God's love. To know God's love. Power and knowledge. Power and knowledge. These are the two great prayer requests. And when you have power, it leads to Christ's presence in the church. And when you have knowledge of God's love, it leads to the fullness of God filling you and filling us. And when you have all of that, it goes to whose glory? God's glory in the church forever and ever. And so three main points to unpack this passage. We pray for power to get God's presence. That's number one. Pray for power to get God's presence. Number two, pray for knowledge to get God's fullness. And number three, pray to the Father for His glory. Okay? I want us to be a praying church in 2016. We want to pray more in 2016 than we've ever prayed before. And so, let's pray for power to get God's presence. Let's pray for knowledge to get God's fullness. 
and pray to the Father for His glory. So let's look at those one at a time. Number one, pray for power to get God's presence. This is verses 16 and 17. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. There's one under your chair or the chair in front of you, a brown pew Bible, and you can grab it there and turn to page 828, and you'll find the text there on page 828. Okay, so here, pray for power to get Christ's presence. Verses 16 and 17. Let's go back to verse 16. And it says here, in my translation here, uh, this Christian Standard Bible, I pray that God may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power. To be strengthened with power. If we're not strengthened with power, we will remain weak. Even worse then remaining weak is us thinking we're strong when we're actually weak. To be deluded, to think we are self-sufficient spiritually, that our walk with God is okay, that we have enough love for God, we have enough love for others, we're doing enough of what God wants us to do, and we have enough strength within our own resources, apart from God, to do what God's sending us to do. That's just not true. God calls us to do amazing things. In Acts 26... God says to Paul, I send you to open their eyes. That's weird. God is the one who opens eyes, right? But why is God sending Paul? To open blind eyes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I become all things to all people that by all means necessary I might save some. Doesn't God save? What is Paul saying he's doing? He's saving. Now I'm not saying Paul's ultimate or equal with God. God is the ultimate in saving. God is the ultimate in opening his eyes. But God uses you. And he sends you to do it. Do you have power to open blind eyes spiritually? Do you have power in yourself of your own resources to save people from their sins? No. And so we need God's power, right? We need God's power. We too easily drift into our own ministry without asking God for power and without receiving power from God, and therefore we remain weak. Now, Paul is not being unreasonable with this request, asking for power. He asks according to the riches of what? In verse 16. According to the riches of God's what? Glory. And how glorious is God? Infinitely glorious. There's no limit to his glory. So when Paul asks for power, it's not like asking a person who can't afford to pay the bill, right? When you have infinite glory and infinite riches of glory, and and then someone says, can you give us a lot more power? More than we can ask or, or think. And God says, yeah. I got the riches. I got the resources. I can give you that power. So Paul here is just leaning on what we learn from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. So God will strengthen us. So Paul here asks for power, but we must not merely ask for power. Those who don't know God, those who don't know God the Father, seek their own power. And we might fall into the same trap. Seeking physical power, financial power, academic, social, political, relational power. People are power hungry everywhere. Paul is hungry for a different kind of power. He prays that we would be strengthened with power in the inner man. What is the inner man? Paul makes the contrast clear in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he writes this. If you can turn there, you can, but don't worry, I'm going to read it quickly and we're going to move on. 
2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, Therefore we do not give up. Even though the outer person is decaying, our outer man is being destroyed, our inner person, our inner man, is being renewed day by day. So what's being destroyed? Our outer person. As we get older, as we have health problems, our outer body is decaying. But our inner man is being strengthened day by day. Our older brothers and sisters can be the most power, most spiritually powerful members of the church and witnesses for the gospel. Because as our outer person is decaying, the inner person is being renewed day by day. And so we young people need to learn from and be hungry to learn from our, elder, our older brothers and sisters in Christ. But the point here is we want power, not physical power to work out and bench press. Not physical power to run a marathon or financial power to balance our budget and to make sure that we are financially affluent so that others are impressed with us. That's not the power we want. We want spiritual power, the power on the inside, the power that God promised in Jeremiah 31, 33 when he said, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. The promise of the new covenant. Or like Paul says in Colossians 1.11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice this. What's the power for? Power, strengthened with power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Is endurance a physical trait or a spiritual trait? A spiritual trait in this sense. Endurance in faith. Patience. Patience is a spiritual power. Joy. That's a spiritual power. And so we pray for strength in the inner man. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. For what? So that the proclamation might be fully made. Power for what? Power for proclamation. Is it hard to share the gospel with people sometimes? Do you ever feel hesitant? Timid? Weak? Like you need power? That's okay. If you feel that way, you're on the right track. You're starting to become aware of your weakness. And so what do you do? You pray to be strengthened with power in the inner man so that you would proclaim, so that the proclamation might be fully made when people hear. So we need strengthening not on the outer man, though it's, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself physically. This is not a license for gluttony, right? This is not a license to just let yourself go physically. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to take care of them. But none of us, well, I guess if that's your calling, but not every one of us should be trying out for Mr. Universe, right? That's not the goal of physical fitness. It's just to take care of your body so you can do as many good works for God's glory as long as God will keep you on this earth. So we do have to steward our physical strength, but the spiritual strength in the inner man is primarily important. And that's what we pray for. Is that what you pray for? That's what Paul prays for. That's what we should be praying for. When someone says, how can I pray for you? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Can you pray that I would be strengthened with power in the inner man? How does this come? Verse 16. This comes through who? Strengthened with power in the inner man through? The very end of verse 16, through who? Through his spirit. The spirit glorifies Christ. The spirit is the one who power, empowers us. How does the Holy Spirit do it? Through glorifying and pointing to who? Jesus Christ. The spirit wrote the scriptures. And what is the scriptures all about? Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives us power. Remember Acts 1.8? You will receive power to be my what? Witnesses. So the Spirit empowers us for witness. The Spirit enlightens our understanding to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 14. 
The Spirit works in us to kill the flesh and kill sin in our lives. That doesn't come from your own power. If you're going to kill sin and temptation in your life and grow in in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control, that comes from the fruit of who? The Spirit, not you. So we need to be strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit for personal holiness. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. And then he gives us power. He gives us spiritual gifts to empower us to build up the body of Christ. The Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So, whether we need power to understand God's word, or whether we need power to kill sin in our own lives, or whether we need power to love our non-Christian neighbors with the gospel, or whether we need power to build up our local church family, this all comes from who? The Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit working in us, we are powerless. But God strengthens us in the inner man through His Holy Spirit. Praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the prayer request. Power in the inner man through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what we ask for. We ask for power. With each of these main points, I'm going to do an ask and an aim. So we ask for power. What's the aim of this request? What's the aim of it in verse 17? So that when you get this power in the inner man through the Spirit, what happens? What's the aim? So that or in order that the Messiah or Christ may what? Dwell in your hearts through faith. So here's what the aim is. The aim is Christ's presence. Do you want the power or the presence of Jesus in your life? Powerfully, actively working in you? That comes through inner strength by the Holy Spirit. So Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. But then you might ask, rightfully, wait, wait, wait. Doesn't Jesus already dwell in our hearts? Colossians 1.27 says the mystery of the, of the Old Testament revealed in the New is that the Messiah lives in you. So if He already lives in me, why do I need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that He could live in me? If He already lives in me. Paul, you wrote Ephesians, you also wrote Colossians. Are you contradicting yourself, Paul? Is Paul confused? Is the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul confused here? Is Paul in theological error? No, of course not. Of course not. Paul is praying here, aiming at the active presence of Jesus working in us. Jesus can live in us and we can still ignore him, right? He can live in us and we can still sin against him. The Holy Spirit can live in us and we can still grieve him and resist him. So the prayer is not just that Jesus would live in us, but that he would powerfully live in us. That his presence would dominate our lives and our thoughts. He wants Jesus to dwell in our hearts more and more through what? Through active what in verse 17? So that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is a self-conscious trusting in Jesus. It's not just a decision you made 10 years ago or 50 years ago. Faith is active today. And when you exercise faith self-consciously, trusting Jesus Christ this morning, Christ dwells more in your heart. His presence empowers you more in your life. And that's what Paul wants. Uh, A greater experience of the presence of the Messiah Jesus more and more. Without power in the inner man through the Holy Spirit and Christ dwelling in your heart through faith as the aim, you you would be like a brand new 2016 sports car. So picture, I, I, I put different sports cars here and then I just thought, oh, you know, someone's not going to get it. Why do you pick American or why do you pick Japanese? So I just, okay. 2016 expensive sports car, brand new on the outside with a rusty 
used and broken down engine on the inside. What good is that brand new car with that broken down engine on the inside when you can't get it out of your driveway? Without power in our inner man resulting in the Messiah dwelling in our hearts through faith, we are not going anywhere in 2016, spiritually. You're stuck on the driveway. You can look good, you can memorize scripture, I can preach sermons up here, but if the Spirit doesn't strengthen me on the inner man, and if it doesn't strengthen you, we're not going anywhere in 2016. So we must regularly pray, God, strengthen us with power through your Spirit in the inner man so that the Messiah would dwell in our hearts through faith. If you're not a Christian, I wonder where you get the power in your life to accomplish the good things you want to do in 2016. I mean, everyone tries to get their their power somewhere. You could look on the inside. Maybe you found the secret key to power. And if you have, I'd love to hear it at the back as as you walk out. I'll be right there at the exit as I greet you. Please let me know if you found a secret key to power. But according to the Bible, nothing and no one else can really sustain faith and power in our lives besides Jesus Christ himself. And so we need to pray. That's the first thing. Pray for power aiming at the presence of Christ. Secondly, pray for knowledge to get God's fullness. So number one was pray for power to get Christ's presence. Number two, pray for knowledge to get God's fullness. Look at verses 17b, the second part of 17, to verse 19. So remember, there's an ask and aim. What are we asking for here? Look at verse 17. Or verse 18, actually. What's the ask here in verse 18? That you may be able to what? Comprehend or have the power, the ability... To comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth, and verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what's the ask here? What are we asking for? The ability to know, to grasp the love of Christ. The height, the depth, the width, the length of the love of Christ. We need power for this knowledge. We need to know and grasp this Now, I skipped verse 17, not on purpose. Let's go back to verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, will be able to comprehend that love. Okay? So before you can even begin to comprehend it, you need to be rooted and established or grounded in it, right? Rooted and grounded in love. Well, how are you rooted and grounded in love? Well, it's the first prayer request. When you're strengthened in the inner man through the Spirit, Christ is dwelling in your heart through faith, you're being rooted and grounded in love. And now that you're rooted and grounded in love, second prayer request. Being rooted and grounded in the love of God, I want you to have the ability, I'm praying that you have the ability to grasp and comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, how does Paul, how does Paul define or describe grasping this love? He describes it, well, in verse 19, he says the Messiah's love. It's Christ's love, right? Does Jesus love us? Yes or no? Yes, he does, right? He loves his people. How does Jesus love us? He loves us by showing us God's glory. John 11, verses 5 and 6. He loves us by saving us from our sins. He loves us by dying in our place to take the penalty we deserve. Listen to these verses. John 15, 13. No one has greater love than this. No man hath greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his fellow man or his friends. John 15, 13. But God demonstrated his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Husbands, love your wives as 
Christ what? Loved the church. And how did he love her? And gave himself up for her. He sacrificed himself for her, cleansing her, or to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of, of the water by the word. So Jesus sacrifices himself for us. He washes us and makes us holy. And then it says here, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless. Jesus loves us by dying for us. He loves us by giving us his word. He loves us by washing us. And he loves us by making us holy. And Paul's prayer is that in 2016, we would grasp more than ever the love of Christ. Well, let's, let's look at the dimensions of the love. It's pretty impressive, right? In verse 18. What does he want us to grasp or comprehend with all the saints? What is the length and width and height and depth? So here are four dimensions, right? Length, width, or three dimensions, but yeah. Length, width, height, and depth. What, now, I'm going to meditate on this here out loud, and I'm not saying that this is exactly... I'm, I'm, I was thinking as I was studying this, what is the length of his love? What is the width of his love? And I just kind of thought what verses come to my mind and concepts, so let me just say out loud what I thought of, and what I read even, uh, Tim Keller has a book on prayer where he meditates on this, and that was helpful in thinking through this. What is the length of his love? What's the length of Christ's love? It begins in eternity past, and it goes all the way to eternity future. Will it ever end? No. In Revelation 13.8, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Psalm 103.17, from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is on those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting, the King James Version says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, Lamentations 3.22. His love or His steadfast love endures forever, says the song, and that's based on Psalm 136. He will love us five billion ages from now on the new earth and into all eternity. His love will never give up because it is steadfast and faithful. Does God's love feel short-lived and fleeting to you? So temporary? His love will never end, but it will only continue. And as it continues, you will increasingly experience that love. And once we're, once we're removed from sin, absent from the body and present with the Lord, or Christ comes again, we will only increasingly enjoy that love. Right now, it's kind of like you increase a little bit, you decrease, because we still have sin and we're wrestling here. But once sin is completely gone, it's just going to be a straight increase forever, till you almost explode with joy in the love of Christ. And when you're about to explode, you just go another level of experience, and into, into eternity. You're like a big balloon that will just never pop. Right? So that's the length of his love. Then you have the width of God's love. The width. How wide is God's love? It's for every ethnic people group. All people, right? All peoples. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne. And they're crying out. It goes on in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne. God's love is wide enough for everyone. Does God's love feel insufficiently spread out and limited to you? Do you ever feel like, God, why don't you love that person and save them? Like as if God doesn't love or his love isn't wide enough? God's love will reach every ethnic people group and save a multitude that no one can number. That's why we give to missions. We're not wasting our money in giving to missions. We are giving to a mission that will be accomplished. It's guaranteed. He will save people from every tribe, nation, and language. And so we give and we pray and we sacrifice and we go because God's love is wide. Not only is it long and wide, 
It's high. How high is God's love? It's so high that God's love takes us into the very holy of holies in heaven. Can you imagine that? This is Hebrews 9.24. That when Jesus makes a sacrifice, he enters into heaven itself as our high priest representing us. So that Hebrews 10, it says we have boldness to enter through the heavens, through Christ's body, into the holy of holies. That's how high Christ's love is. It projects, it launches us from earth into the very throne room of God, before the face of God. God's love is so high that Revelation 22, 4 says, you will see his face. Remember he said in Exodus, no one will see his face and live. God's love is so high that it will actually push you into the very presence where you will see God face to face and live. They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and they will reign with him forever and ever and ever on the new earth. That's how high his love is. How deep is his love? His, his love is so deep that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He becomes a man. That's what we talked about with Christmas last week, right? That the God of all the universe would become a man for us. Philippians 2, existing in the form of God, he existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage or grasp. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. How deep is God's love? It's so deep that the deepest judgment and condemnation for sin that anyone will ever experience, more than anyone will ever experience, was poured out on Jesus as he hung on the cross for three hours and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hangs on the cross, the depth of God's love goes into the very fiercest condemnation and wrath of God. Does God feel distant to you? Like his love is not deep enough for you. Jesus' love draws us to him. This depth is displayed in his love for sinners. The deepest of sinners. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. Paul killed Christians as his ambition. His life goal was to kill as many Christians as possible and stop Christianity. He says, I was a persecutor, an arrogant man. 1 Timothy chapter 1. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief, or the foremost. I am the worst of sinners, but I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. Isn't that love? That he would save the worst of sinners? Are you guilty? Are you feeling guilty this Christmas season? Are you ashamed? Are you dominated by the feeling of sin? Jesus' love is deep enough for you. He went to the depths for you. If you're not a Christian, God wants you this morning to know about His love. To understand His love, you need to, first of all, understand that we're accountable to Him. That God created you. God created you, He created me. He made us in His image to enjoy and reflect Him forever. The problem is, we didn't want to reflect Him. We didn't want to live according to His agenda, which was for our good. You know what we wanted to do? We wanted to write our own manual on the human life, on our human life. We, wanted, we didn't want to reflect Him. We wanted to reflect our glory. And that's what we call rebellion. 
That's what we call sin, disobedience. And because of that, because God created us, He holds us accountable. And the penalty for this sin, the penalty and the sentence for this treason, this rebellion, the penalty is death. Eternal death in hell forever under the condemnation and wrath of God. But here's the good news. If you're not a Christian, here's the good news. If you forget everything we've said this morning, please remember this. God sent His only Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. He sent His Son to rise from the dead to defeat sin and to defeat death. And to absorb all the condemnation so that you have to get none of it. He wanted to take all of your condemnation and give you all of his righteousness and reward. And that offer is for everyone. And he died and he paid the penalty for everyone who would repent from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the invitation is open to all. God is telling you this morning, the best Christmas gift you could ever have is eternal life. And God is giving it to you this morning. Repent from your sins and trust In Jesus Christ. Stop entrusting your life to your own wisdom. To the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of your family or the wisdom of your job. Trust Jesus Christ and turn from your sins. And you'll be forgiven and saved. If you're a Christian, to my Christian brothers and sisters, what is God telling you? He's telling us to grasp the love of Christ. Here's some questions I thought of that might hinder you. Can sin ever make Jesus stop loving me? If that could happen, then Jesus would have stopped loving me a long time ago. And if there was a certain sin that I could do that would make me fall out of Christ's love, then I would have given Christ 10,000 reasons to stop loving me and replace my spot with somebody else. But He still loves me. Have you lied? Have you lusted? Have you deliberately chosen to go the wrong way? Have you sinned so willingly and repented from it to trust in Christ, but you feel like, I keep repenting for the same sin and, you know, Jesus has to be tired of me. He's sick of me because I keep coming to him with the same sin again and again and again. Not just for one year, PJ, for decades. I've been confessing the same sin to God and Jesus is just sick of me. I would be sick of me. He has to be sick of me. Do you fear that he doesn't love you anymore? Here's a question to answer that question. How can he not love us when he's the one who chose us? Who marries the bride knowing that she's going to be unfaithful and then when she's unfaithful, divorces her? If you knew it already and you still chose to do it, then you'd stay, right? Because you already knew. It wasn't a surprise. And so if God knew, or if if the husband knew that she would be unfaithful, he wouldn't have married her. But instead, if he chooses to, he knows it going in. Does God know all the sins you're going to commit, past, present, and future? And did did he save you anyways? He did, right? He chose you anyways. He saved you anyways. You cannot commit enough sins to fall out of His love. He, he laid down His life. He purchased the ring. He marries us in covenant as the church as we bow the knee to Him. Christ loves us and saves us. And yes, transformation is slow. But we must not underestimate the height and the depth and the length and the width of the love of Christ. Now what happens when you grasp this love? Well, look at verse 19. He doesn't only want us to grasp it, He wants us to know what? Know the know Christ's love that surpasses what? Knowledge. Know what you cannot know. Know what you can't know. Know what surpasses knowing. 
So we might scratch our heads and say, okay, this is a contradiction. How can you know what you can't know? Well, he doesn't mean know in the intellectual sense. He doesn't mean know the way a historian might know George Washington. He means know in the way that the children of the historian would know their dad. Or the way the historian would know his wife. An experiential knowledge. Paul doesn't want you to just know facts about Jesus. He died for sins. He rose from the dead. He has a church. He wants you to experientially know Jesus. Where you're so fixed on Jesus in your mind and you contemplate him in your heart that your soul... Have you had this before? It's almost like a spiritual high. A euphoria almost. Where your soul is kind of caught up in the love of God and you're just overwhelmed with a sense of his love. Have you experienced that in 2015? Do you want to experience that more in 2016? As you meditate on his word, as you pray to him, that you would enjoy God and have those seasons in your life where you're overwhelmed with his love? Now, we don't want to trust in that, but we still want to experience that, right? You know the song, On Christ the Solid Rock? How does it start? My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. But then he says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What's the sweetest frame? That's what I'm talking about. The sweetest frame when you're in such a frame of spirit and mind where you're just overwhelmed with joy and love. Where you're so, you're, you're in a frame of spirit that is so sweet. Are those good times to have? Yes. Should we want more? Yes. We don't want to trust them. We don't want to trust our, on the sweetest frame. We want to lean on Jesus' name. But we still want to enjoy God, right? We want to experientially know Him. And so we pray that we would know Him in this way. And what's the aim? When you're praying to know and grasp the love of God, what's the aim in verse 19? To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that what? Look at verse 19, so you may be filled with what? All the fullness of who? Of God. When you're rooted and grounded in love, when you are grasping, I feel like you're putting your arm around, try putting your arm around the sun, right? If the sun wasn't hot. like Put your arm around the sun, you barely grasp it. You could, you know, grasp the vast love of Christ and you start to experientially know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, when you have that, you are starting to be filled with the fullness of God. God fills you. Now, how full is God? God is infinite, right? I just picture this. The fullness of all that God is filling microscopic PJ. Is that crazy? Or just think about how microscopic our church family is to the vastness of God. And that God would take all of all that He is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God in all His fullness, filling our church, our microscopic, infinitesimal, infinitesimal, is that how you say the word? I don't even know how to say that word. Church. That's just amazing. Think of our little communion cups, right? That all the oceans filling a little communion cup. That's what happens when you experience the love of Christ. God fills you with the fullness of all that He is. And He fills us as a church with all the fullness of all that, he, all that He is. And when you pray for this knowledge that leads to presence, I mean this power that leads to God, Christ's presence, and when you pray for this knowledge that leads to God's fullness, then we have this third and last point. Verses 20 and 21. It ends up with God's glory. But before we talk about God's glory and, and what it ends up with, let's, um, who, are we, who are we praying to in verse 14? Who does Paul kneel to in verse 14? I kneel before the Father. And who is this Father in verse 15? He's the Father from whom every human being, every person and every family of people have been named. Everyone comes from this Father. He's the creator and source of all. 
So this is the one we're praying to, the source of everything. Not only is he the source of any, everything, how powerful is he? Look at verse 20. What is he able to do? Now to him who is able to do what? Above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. So God can do everything he wants to. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He works everything together according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 He does whatever he wants and his power is working in us. And he's our father. Not just because he's our creator, but because he adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. And so that's who we're praying to. We ask the Almighty. That's the ask. Pray to the Father for his glory. Ask the Almighty. What are we aiming at here? Verse 21, last verse. All of this presence and power and all of this um, knowledge and fullness, what is this all leading to in verse 21? To God's what? To God's glory. The goal of all prayer and all creation is to display and reflect the glory of God. This is not only the goal of creation, this is the goal of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune God's goal is to glorify His name. But here's the crazy thing about this verse. What I just told you right now is not crazy. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, everything is for God's glory. Ho-hum, we know that. But here's the crazy thing about verse 21. That everything for God's glory is going to be displayed where? In verse 21. In the what? In the church. In the church. The church is made up of dead sinners who are made alive together by Christ's power in Ephesians 2 verse 4. The church is Jews and Gentiles made into one body where the Gentiles are now co-heirs and members of the same body. This church is the display of God's wisdom to the demons and angels in the heavenly places, Ephesians 3.10. God's glory is displayed in the heavenly universal church, but where do you see the heavenly universal church right now? Right here. Look around. The local church is the visible expression of the heavenly universal church of all, of all the saints of all time. And so this is the, this is the place where God displays His glory. is that crazy? First Southern Baptist Church. 68 members on the prayer list. Active members. In you 68 brothers and sisters, He's displaying His glory. And get this. Every prayer request you will ever pray for anyone is so that God would be glorified in His church. Okay, I just want to funnel all the prayer requests you ever prayed. We prayed for people in the hospital. We pray for the sick. We pray for each other. We pray for the lost. Every prayer you will ever pray for anyone has this goal. God's glory in the church. Think about that. Jim had a prayer list here, the, the Sunday school prayer list that they prayed for. Every single prayer request you'll ever pray for another human being has this goal. The glory of God in the church. Not just the glory of God in general. The glory of God in the church. Because when you pray for other saints here, they'll help glorify God in this church. When you pray for other saints in other churches, they'll make disciples and add them to the church. And God will get the glory in all of that. You see, it's all about the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ in the church. So it says, to Him be the glory in the church, but not only... In the, you say, PJ, hold on. Not only in the church, but also where? In who? In Christ Jesus. See, PJ, you're making it too much about the church. It's more about Jesus than the church. Don't separate Jesus from the church. In Ephesians 1, the church is the body and Jesus is the head. In Ephesians 5, the church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. Don't separate the church from Jesus. 
Yes, all glory is in Christ, but don't separate Christ from the church. That's why every single prayer request you pray is for Christ's glory in the church. We have a task in 2016. We got to get on our knees. Because if all the glory of God is happening in the church, then we need to pray for our church, right? Doesn't that follow? We need to pray for power through the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith as a church. We need to pray that being rooted and grounded in love, we would be able to grasp the height and breadth and length and width of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we as a church would be filled with all the fullness of God experientially. We need to pray that God would be glorified in First Southern Baptist Church and all the other churches we get to pray for. That's what we need to pray for in 2016. So this begins our week of prayer. This Sunday to next Sunday, the week of prayer. I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, to devote at least 10 minutes a day this week. Okay, Ending this year, beginning next year, 10 minutes a day to prayer. You're like, wow, I've never prayed 10 minutes straight. Don't worry. Just take a, if you don't know what to pray for, we have a, I had a few tools for you. One is the, the members list. You guys see that somewhere? They're in the back. Let me see, I have one here. So you have a members list here. You have a members list here with, what, uh, maybe eight, eight to ten people to pray for every day. They're in the back of the table. Grab one of these. Pray for every member this week. You might not be doing it every week, but this week in our week of prayer, pray for every single member of our church. By name, individually. You say you don't know what, you don't know what to pray for? Look at the back of it. On the back of it, I have a list of all the different New Testament prayer requests. You can pray for each other. You say, I don't know what's going on in PJ's life. Well, pray that I'd be strengthened in the inner man, right? Pray the, pray the biblical prayers. So here's a challenge this week. Pray for every member individually. Pray for the church corporately. Not just for us individually. What is God wanting to do in our church in 2016? How are we going to glorify God and spread the gospel and become more and more of a healthy church? Let's pray this week, 10 minutes a day, and you're saying, well, I prayed through this list, PJ, 10 names, I could knock that out in 30 seconds. And I can. I do sometimes. So how am I going to get to 10 minutes? Start reading, read Ephesians 1, pray everything you can from Ephesians 1 for people. Read Ephesians 2, pray everything from Ephesians 2 you can for, for people. Read Ephesians 3, and just put your timer on your phone, 10 minutes, and just set the timer Put it on your oven, 10 minutes, and just pray, 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 pray this week. 10 minutes a day. That's my challenge. Maybe you're saying 10 is too much. I don't want to be legalistic. I'll pray nine. Okay, fine. Pray nine. Pray five. 10 is not the biblical number. I'm just giving you something specific to give you something to aim at. Make it 15 if you want. So pray for every member. Pray for the church. Pray regularly. And then pray corporately. Pray with the church tonight. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, as we do every Sunday night. Last last week, we had a few people, and we prayed. We'll pray again next week to end our prayer week. So let's pray as a church corporately. If, you're, if we're going to have power in the church, you know, you have three or four, you have seven people praying for the church of 68 people. It might not be a wonder why there's no power in the church. You know, pray. We pray corporately. I would challenge you, in 2016, go to 10 prayer meetings. In 2016. If you've gone to 10, go to 20. If you've gone to 20, go to every Sunday. But but pray more corporately. And then pray for each other. Pray more after the service. Ask each other how you can pray for each other and pray for one another. Pray for frontier missions. Pray for our great commission work. Let's pray, pray, pray this ending this year into next year. Let's close now in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, we want to glorify your great name because you are the groom and we are the bride. You are the head, we are the body. And when you're glorified, Lord Jesus, in the church, the Father is glorified. And all of this happens by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, it is our prayer that you would strengthen our church with power through your Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts corporately and individually through faith. We pray, Father, that you would, as we're rooted and grounded in love, because we're rooted and grounded in your love, that you would give us the ability to grasp with all the saints what is the height and depth and length and width, and that we would know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowing. That we would experience Jesus in fresh and familiar ways this year as we end into next year. And we pray that in that we would be filled with all the fullness of all that you are, the vast oceans in a tiny communion cup. We pray, Father, that you would get glory in our church. Humble us. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for our self-sufficiency and our self-we-can-do-it-on-our-own-power mentality. Change us. We love you. We thank you. And as we sing, take our lives and let it be, we pray that we would do that, that you would do that, take our lives. For any non-Christian friends, we pray that they would hear the gospel and believe in Jesus, even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.